0: Well, last week
1: we were uh,
0: in Genesis 39, and we were looking at about the last half of the chapter, the story about, kind of the conclusion of the story about <laughs> Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, and his experience with Potiphar's, <coughs> excuse me, his experience with Potiphar's wife, and uh <coughs> How that all unfolded and the results of that. And this week we pick up the story in chapter 40 and verse 1. And uh, Lord willing, we'll cover about 15 verses there, looking at uh, the things that unfold there with Joseph in the prison. Uh, So, but before we read that passage, let's go back and, excuse me, think about the. Think about the things we talked about last week. I think we were verses, uh, uh, picked it up in about verse 11 last week and went down through the end of the chapter, chapter 39. So kind of look down through those verses and uh, see if you can recall some things that stuck out to you or that you remembered from our lesson last week. And then actually share them with us. <laughs>
1: had to act what he was told to point
0: out that
1: maybe what is angry is it's probably more angry as mine than anything. Okay. They still had acts on what was done. May
0: not have been what we take their failed for that time. Okay. We'll talk some more about that, because we actually learn a little bit more about it today, but but uh, yeah, there is the possibility that Potiphar really didn't believe his wife, or at least have reason to suspect that she may not have been completely forthright in telling the story. Uh, but it, it is uh, interesting to to many that that uh, he doesn't just have Joseph put to death, which he obviously could have done. Uh, but he has him put in prison, and many people suspect that the reason is is because uh, he wasn't completely convinced that Joseph was was guilty. Uh, I, I really don't know what I think about that, where I stand on that. Uh, Joseph does end up in prison for several years, obviously, and, and I think uh, that's a pretty rough thing to do to somebody if you think they're actually really innocent. But there again, he's a slave, and so they look at slaves a little differently. So <laughs> what else? It yeah.
1: maybe anything to do with the culture of beliefs at the time, that house was blessed because of Joseph. If you had to put in but we thought
0: maybe that Well, that's that's a possibility. That's something worth thinking. Hi, right, come in. Good to, good to have you here. <laughs> uh, that's something, uh, something to think about. I, I don't really know the answer to that but that's a possibility I would think, yeah. When we talk about the... Uh, well, we didn't
1: talk a whole lot about it. We talked about Joseph being in there and she grabs his garment. I'm thinking, well, now Joseph was probably a strong guy to some degree. Why did he... Why didn't he yank it out of her hand or, you know, something like that? And then I got to thinking about it, and this woman is, just, is very aggressive. And I've known women like that directly scary, and so I'm to run. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened to him. You would think he would be strong enough to,
0: you know, I think Joseph had one thing on his mind that you was know. get out of there and... Uh, and, and yeah, the the actual dynamics of the immediate situation are a little hard to, for us to know. But but clearly, uh, his priority was I don't want to be here. And uh, and I doubt that he suspected that, you know that she was going to somehow use that against him. I, I would assume that he just didn't expect that. But I don't know.
1: What else? And you think, Well or that he he has in kindness and favor and you think, Well, we did also for our life. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it kinda of makes us rethink this whole thing about uh, you know, prosperity gospel and that sort of thing, doesn't it? that that when God, as he did with Joseph, when he blessed him, when he made him successful, as we talked about several weeks ago, the way he made Joseph successful is he made Joseph Joseph successful in being a blessing to others. And, And for a significant period of Joseph's life, that means that he's in a place of suffering and difficulty and struggle. But even in that suffering and difficulty and struggle, God's present with him and he is a success. And the success that he is is that he's a blessing to Potiphar and to Popo- to Potiphar's house. So so what else? Yeah. 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 So the measure of success is not how much money I've got or oh excuse me, you're gonna say nothing? Oh, Oh, how much money I've got, or how many, how what kind of cars I drive, or what kind of house I live in, or what kind of job I have. Uh, the measure of my success is how much God is free to work through my life to bless others. So, yeah, go ahead.
1: Charles. On three different occasions this week I've used this story. Oh, really? And, oh, neat. And uh, but it had to do with business. It had to do with having subcontractors that are blaming each other. <laughs> there you um, go. man, uh-huh. The Hebrew you put in this house. Yeah. 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 That, that's pretty powerful. You have
0: to remember, this took place 5,000 years ago. A long time ago, yeah. And they're blaming uh-huh. yeah. the plumber. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. She's trying to shift the blame. So. Who does Joseph represent? Okay, okay. He really is a type of Christ, isn't he? And we see this parallel where he's he's stripped of his garments, he's shamed, he's he's he loses his status, he loses his position, he's and he suffers and all of this that he goes through, the the, the shaming, the loss of status, the humiliation, uh and and all of the suffering is in order that he might act redemptively in the lives of his family, not just in the lives of his own family, but in the lives of the Egyptians, not just in the lives of the Egyptians in general, but in the life of Potiphar and in the life of Potiphar's wife and in the life of all the nations around him. And all of that Joseph goes through. Uh, all of that Joseph accomplishes because he has, he has been through this, this process of shaming and suffering. And so in many ways... Uh, Joseph is representative to us of Christ and what Christ went through. Yeah.
1: Uh, Did you?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. I didn't even remember that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's. It's obvious that whoever wrote the script for that movie had carefully carefully studied the story of Joseph in the Scripture. There are a few points where I might quarrel with them, but it's a but it is a good uh, a good movie. So. Uh, so, okay. Well, today I'd like to pick it up in chapter 40, in verse one, and as I said, we'll try to cover the first 15 verses or so. Uh, so let's just read the passage, and then uh, we'll kind of look at some introductory remarks and get started. He says, "Then it came about after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief uh, chief cupbearer and the chief baker." So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night. Each man with his own dream and each dream with his own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? Then he said to them, We have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Only, Keep me in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For I was in fact kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. Well, one of the things that I think we should note here as we're as we're starting in this part of the story is how how the narrator here of the story under the inspiration of the holy spirit takes so much time to tell this story in such detail okay he you know he could have easily just said you know that that these two guys had a dream and joseph interpreted the dream and, and gone on with the story to get to the real Uh, crux of the story, which is, of course, in our minds is Joseph's promotion to his uh, ultimately his promotion to the right hand of Pharaoh. And that's, you know, that's what we want to get to. That's that's really the important part of the story. Right. So why do we spend so much time belaboring the issue of the dream? One of one of the reasons for that is is the Lord is trying to communicate to us through the narration of this story the spirit of wisdom that Joseph has, so it's not just enough to know that Joseph ultimately is promoted, but one of the things that that we want to see we want to understand is is the character of Joseph and the wisdom of the Joseph that becomes so crucial then when ultimately he is promoted because his promotion uh, in egypt uh, to the to the right hand of Pharaoh can only be effective, can only accomplish the purposes that God wants it to accomplish if Joseph is the kind of man that will serve in good stead in that position. And if Joseph has the kind of spirit, both his own spirit and the spirit of God, that will enable him to do this remarkable job that he's going to do when he's when he becomes uh, the prime minister of Egypt. So, So one of the reasons for taking so much detail, taking so much time in the story as we move forward is is to understand that and, and to point that out. Something else I want to just kinda of mention by way of introduction is I want you to notice uh and I think Mike brought this up last week when he when he talked about uh him being thrown into jail. This you know, this is not like this is not, not like here in uh in Cleveland County, you know, if you uh if you get Caught doing something you shouldn't do And they pick you up And they arrest you And they take you down And they throw you in the county slammer Okay And you're down there on Peter Street Or whatever it is Down there in the, in, the, in, the, in the county jail In this particular case This is a kind of a special jail Okay And from the text That we have read so far What do we know about this jail Okay It's called a house Or it's associated with a house Okay What else What else Okay. upper crust, uh, crust clientele. okay now this is where the high when the high officials offend this is where they put them this is where they put the 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 top dogs you know it's not not like it is today you know uh today with uh, our present judicial system and with our media the way it is and the way uh, we're kind of a democratically thinking people you know we think of a If a high official goes to prison, he ought to go to prison in the same prison everybody else goes to, okay? But that's not the way it was in Egypt, okay? So this is kind of a special prison. What else do we know about it? Okay, Joseph refers to it as a dungeon, uh, which is kind of interesting because all the other references kind of refer to it as a house or or you think of some kind of a structure. So you don't think of it as a pit down in the ground but joseph calls it a dungeon i think what joseph is doing there is, is i don't think it's an actual physical dungeon but what i think joseph is communicating is that is that that's what it is as far as his life is concerned it is a pit it is like the pit that he was thrown into in Dothan, and and it's just it represents how low his life has sunk okay what else do we know about this jail
1: well one thing is. Kind of occurred to me when you were reading that, you just see kind of bizarre you these other two guys were in there, and Joseph goes to them one morning and sees that they're sad. Now, I would think if I was in jail, I'd be sad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. But apparently, just, you know, something about it that be pretty good, and they like, oh, it's a beautiful day, on jail, <laughs> whatever it was. I don't know.
0: Kind of like our modern prison system. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: act, you know, well,
0: actually, I have an explanation for that, but that's getting ahead of the story. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. So, yeah.
1: so apparently it wasn't rough in the sense that they were uh, you know, breaking rocks and doing hard labor. Okay, and kind of okay, and yeah. yeah.
0: Well, certainly those two guys weren't, and we'll see yeah. that here in just a little bit. And yeah, the
1: other part, and maybe it was just Joseph, but he had enough freedom that he could. Go around and visit
0: these boats. Okay, stuff. okay. So, so they
1: weren't confined to a cell like we might think. Okay,
0: well, Joseph wasn't, as you say. Yeah, yeah was Joseph was wasn't, good. yeah. What else? There's some obvious things you're missing that are just right there in the front of you in the text. Okay, and why would we conclude that?
1: Okay, he's
0: the captain of the guard, he's the chief bodyguard. And this jail is referred to as the jail that's in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, okay? So now we discover that, in fact, as as Mike was suspecting last week, this is, in fact, the case, that this house is or this prison or jail is associated with Potiphar's house. He's the captain of Pharaoh's potty Guard, and he actually has the jail right, you know, in his backyard. Now, you ladies probably wouldn't like that, you know, if your husband was the, you know, was the county sheriff or or uh, the chief law enforcement officer in Norman or in the state of Oklahoma. You have the jail right there in your backyard. But, you know, uh, but that was apparently convenient for Potiphar, and that's where he had the jail. That's where they kept the people Who were the, uh, as uh, Charles pointed out, are kind of the high offenders, you know, kind of the, and that's the place where Joseph gets stuck. Okay, and so it is interesting when these two guys show up in prison. Joseph is given responsibility for them, but who does it say assigns that responsibility to Joseph? Okay, the captain, the buyer. So it's not the chief jailer. Last week we learned that he had favor with the chief jailer. and so we just kind of read this, and we, I think, kind of subconsciously, we think it's the chief jailer that gave him, but it wasn't the chief jailer that gave him that responsibility, it was Potiphar. Okay? So, so it does seem quite clear that. That though Joseph has been thrown in jail by Potiphar's hand, Potiphar's still kind of overseeing Joseph. He's still kind of taking him under his wing, and he still has confidence in Joseph. So when Joseph, or so when these two prisoners, or these two uh, officials of Pharaoh, are thrown into prison, it's Potiphar who makes sure. That Joseph is given charge over them. Okay, so this kind of gives us some perspective or some, you know, just kind of maybe a little clearer picture of this situation, the jail, and and who's who's in charge, and and those sorts of things. But but then as the story unfolds, we encounter these two uh, these two officials of Pharaoh, the cupbearer and the baker. Now when we read that. From our 21st century perspective, you know, we kind of think, well, these guys, you know, know, they're just just the butler and the baker. You know, they're really not all that important. But in fact, they are very high government officials in the context of the culture, in the context of the setting. These are guys who have Pharaoh's ear. These are guys who are very influential within the court. And and so they're not just kind of menial servants. They're really high government officials and they're very important. So these two guys have done something it says to offend the king of Egypt. Now the word offend there is the same word in the Hebrew that Joseph used when he was telling Potiphar's wife, How can I sin this great sin against God? Okay. So it's so it's not it's not just that, you know, they They did something you know that just kind of irked or 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 whatever joseph or, or Pharaoh, but rather they did they did something that was really offensive. It was really wrong; they somehow really wronged Pharaoh, and it says that Pharaoh was furious. it wasn't that he was just a little irritated, and so he just kind of throws him in jail to teach him a lesson. They have done something really wrong, apparently both of them. Have done something really wrong in relationship to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is furious, and he throws them in jail okay and they are in jail for a considerable period of time uh, <coughs> now i want I want you to notice something that's that's interesting the way the narrator tells the story here in uh, in verse three he says, then behold uh, Excuse me, wrong chapter. Uh, Verse three. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail in the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. So he's wanting us to know they're in the same place. Well, as we go through the story, that's pretty obvious, right? Because we have all this interaction. So it becomes pretty obvious they're in the same place. But he makes a point of telling us, They're in the same place. And then if you go down to verse 7, notice it says, He asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house. Uh, So once again, the narrator is stressing that they're in the same place. So oftentimes when we see repetition like that in Scripture, you know, typically I think sometimes we're a little irritated that... You know that the Bible repeats things when we already know them. You know? And really, what we ought to do instead of being a little irritated that we're not getting on with the story is maybe we ought to stop and ask ourselves, why does he repeat that? Why does he say that again? Why does he? Why does he make? I mean, it's obvious they're in the same jail, and he's he's in charge over them, and he's interacting with them. And obviously, they're in the same place. But the narrator says they're in the same they're in the same jail. Oh, by the way, did I mention to you? Uh, They're in the same place, you know, he wants them to he wants us to know they're in the same place. And it's like. It's like he's trying to communicate something to us. What, What do you think he's trying to tell us there? Well, I think I think one of the things that he wants us to to sense and to know, even though we're not. we're not seeing it explicitly spelled out in black and white. I think one of the things he's wanting us to know is God's in charge here. God's providence is at work. And it's not a coincidence that these guys are in the same place. It is significant that these guys are in the same place. And they are there by the providence of God. And And as you go through the... As you go through the narrative portions of Scripture, as like we have in Genesis and, and 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 other narrative points in the Gospels and other places, uh, oftentimes it tells us exactly what God is doing at some points. God does this or God does this. But a lot of times it doesn't. A lot of times it just unfolds the story. The story unfolds, and and God's activity in it is never mentioned classic example is the story of Esther. God's never mentioned throughout, or hardly mentioned throughout the whole book of Esther. And yet it's clear that we see God is orchestrating this whole event. Okay? And so what we have here is the narrator is just trying to send us a signal. Although he's not making a big sermon out of God is doing this, God is doing this, God is doing this. he wants us to understand that the providence of God is at work behind the scenes where nobody sees it and nobody understands it, and he's even at work among the heathen. God's providence is even at work among the godless. And so we hear we have these idol worshipers, we have Pharaoh and we have we have Pharaoh's officials and we have Potiphar and we have the we have the uh, the uh, chief jailer, we have all these people and they're all making decisions and they're all exercising their free will and they're all doing all the things that we normally just think that people do, but somehow God is providentially directing so that things happen the way He wants them to happen. So His ultimate purposes are fulfilled. And so, it's no accident that these two guys end up in the same place with Joseph. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah, one thing actually, kind of as a
1: parallel, it might be legitimate or not. I think, you know, Joseph's like the back of flies. He just the right hand of Pharaoh. Could be just or the base of maybe, kind of the of two things,
0: one the same. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. There's something else that stands out to me here, though, in this whole thing about these two guys being with Joseph. Now, it says that Potiphar, uh, the, the captain of the bodyguard, he gives Joseph charge over these guys. Well, when you read that in our English Bibles, it's it's very easy to kind of get the picture. Well, you know, he's just kind of the boss, you know, Joseph is kind of the boss of these two guys. So these two guys are put in jail and Joseph's guarding them and you know overseeing them and making sure they you know do whatever they're supposed to do as prisoners but that is not what it means what it actually means is that Joseph has been in cho- Joseph has been been put in a place to care for them and to serve them so it actually kind of presents a different picture for us now doesn't it so here we have these two high government officials, and we have this imprisoned slave. And these two high government officials, they're put in prison, and, the, and this slave, whom Potiphar has a lot of confidence in and trust, is given the responsibility to make sure that these guys' needs are met. Okay, because they are, they've got clout. Okay, they're in prison now, but the, but they, they're they're the hoity-toities. They're the ones that come from high up. Okay, so we want to make sure that they're properly cared for. And so Joseph is put in a position of caring for these guys. Now, he's given that position because Potiphar knows he can trust him, right? He's given that position because he has demonstrated that in whatever circumstances Joseph finds himself, even if, it, it, even if it's a completely unjust situation, Joseph acts faithfully. Joseph does What God wants all of us to do when we find ourselves in those positions is to be a blessing bearer. And Joseph is determined to be a blessing bearer no matter the circumstances he finds himself in. And so Joseph acts faithfully. Potiphar knows he will. So Potiphar assigns him the responsibility of caring for these two influential prisoners. And what strikes me about Joseph is he does that. And he does it well. You notice that he he uh, he pays attention to him. We see that he he comes in in the morning and he he kind of sizes up the situation. He looks at these guys and he and and he and he observes them and he notices that they're you know they're not doing as well today as usually. Now Jim raised the question: you know, if I was in jail, I you know I'd probably be sad every day. Actually. Uh, uh, fortunately, I've never been in jail. Well, excuse me. i never. I was in jail for a few hours one time uh, for preaching the gospel, but that's another story. Uh, but other than that, I've never been in jail. Okay, and it wasn't a very. Uh, it wasn't a very uh, difficult situation, and I, and like I said, I was out in a few hours, and and that was it. But but I've never been in jail like this. But there is clearly the the implication that they have been there for some time. It actually says they've been there for some time, but we don't know how long that time period is, but they may have been there for a considerable period of time. May have been there for, who knows, months or maybe a year or more. Okay. Well, after you've been in jail for, you know, when you're in jail for a day or two, when you're first thrown in jail, it's probably kind of a bummer. But after a while, I assume you kind of get used to it. Okay. You kind of learn to deal with it. All right. But now we, now something has happened. Something has happened to these two guys and they are obviously in a, in a real funk. These guys are really obviously bummed out about something and uh, something unusual. And Joseph picks up on that because Joseph is paying attention to these guys. And I don't think it's just because it's Joseph's job. I think it's because it's Joseph's character. This is the kind of guy Joseph is. And one of the things that strikes me about this stress on, they were in the same place. And then and then things unfold the way they do. What strikes me about that is God has providentially caused to cross Joseph's path. Two guys. Just two guys. And Joseph has a responsibility or an obligation to that and he fulfills it. But he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He doesn't do it minimally. But he does it as unto the Lord, and he does it well. And the result of that is that he becomes a blessing to these guys. Well, at least to the cupbearer. I don't know how much he blessed the baker, but he becomes a blessing to them. And ultimately, through blessing them, God's purposes for Joseph, God's purposes for Israel, God's purposes for Egypt and God's purposes for all the nations around Egypt are fulfilled and accomplished. Simply because Joseph dealt properly with the people who happened to cross his path. Because they didn't just happen to cross his path, they were put there by the providence of God. Now, the application of that is I think pretty obvious to you and I, isn't it? We go through life and every day people cross our paths and we cross people's paths. And they may may be high up, you know, influential people or they may be the clerk at Walmart or the guy at the filling station, you know. They may be completely insignificant. Our interaction, our encounter with them may be... Completely incidental to where we're going in life and what we're doing in life. But how oftentimes are those people there by the providence of God? Because God has some thing that He wants to do in your life or my life or in their lives, some remarkable thing God wants to accomplish. But it will only be accomplished if you or I are faithful to God in that encounter. Now, I'm not saying that... Uh, you know, what that means is we have to witness to everybody we come in contact with. I don't I don't believe that. But, by the same token, I think it does mean that we never know when the person we encounter is there by the providence of God for some great plan that he has. And because that is true, we have an obligation to be a blessing bearer and to be faithful in that situation. Now, that's all nice theory, but you've been to work and it's been a bad day. Okay. It's been a really bad day at work. The boss has chewed you out, or your employees have dropped the ball. It's been a rough day. You had a flat tire going to work. You got to work late. It's been a rough day at work. You're on your way home, and you're you're just about ready to turn down the street to the house. You go, oh, my wife wanted me to go by Walmart. You know, so oh, so you turn around, and you go back over to Walmart. To go in for a five minute errand and to pick up some things she needs for supper. And you get into, what you, you pull in the parking lot, you notice the parking lot's full all the way to the curb, you know. And you know, this is the worst possible time to go to Walmart. And you go in Walmart and you grab, uh, the hamburger that you need and you go to the checkout line and sure enough you're six people deep, okay? So you're standing in the checkout line and, and, and about Four people in front of you, the guy's trying to write a check that the, that, the, that, the, that the cash register won't take, you know, and so the lady's trying to get him to pay, you know, or his credit card won't work, and you're sitting there and you're fidgeting and you're tired and you're mad and you want to go home and it's been a bad day, and then finally you come up to the clerk. How do you treat her? So oftentimes, we're tempted to think, that if I've had a bad day, I have a right to make other people miserable. But I don't. That encounter could be the providence of God. It could be that as rough and rugged and unpleasant as your day has been, that you could make an impact for eternity just by treating that clerk with the love and the kindness that you yourself would want if you were in her place. And when we... Contemplate what happens here with Joseph as he deals faithfully in this encounter with these guys who just happened to be in the same jail with him. When we contemplate the profound eternal consequences of Joseph's faithfulness to treat these men the way they ought to be treated. And not the way he had been treated. then it's a challenge to me to realize that in my insignificant, incidental encounters that I have in life, those in fact may be the providence of God. And there may be something really profound and I may never know what it is. But I don't have a right to take my hard day out on some innocent victim. But I have a responsibility to be a blessing bearer. I have a responsibility to be faithful before God, to treat that person with the love and the kindness that the Lord Jesus would treat them with if he were standing there. Well, so Joseph comes in and he and he. Sees these guys are having a bad day, bad day, because they've had this dream, and and so he asks them all about it. And uh, the uh, they say, you know, they're, they're 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 having they're all dejected or whatever. And and Joseph says, Joseph says, why? And they said, well, because you know we had this dream, and we don't have anybody interpret it because they think, you know, that. They're, they're from the court. They're, they're, they're. You know, they're from you know Pharaoh's right hand. And you know, somebody has a dream. You know, Pharaoh's got this whole uh, uh, array of guys who are experts in interpreting dreams. You know, they're the professionals. They've got the PhD in dream interpretation. Okay, so if you want to know what a dream means, you call up the guys with the PhD in dream interpretation and you ask them. You know, what does my dream mean? But we can't do that. We've had these really obviously profound dreams that are telling us something, something really important and we have no way of knowing because we don't have anybody around with a Ph.D. in dream interpretation. And Joseph says, what? Don't you know that it's God that gives the interpretation? It's God that gives the interpretation because it's God that gives the dream. And Joseph just has this understanding, this sense that God is able to tell people what He wants them to know. That's kind of a revolutionary thought, isn't it? That if God wants to talk to people, He's quite capable of doing it. Now, there aren't many people who believe that anymore. So, when we say, well, God told me, they go, yeah, right, God told you. Well, you know, I'm not talking about, you know, voices out of heaven or whatever, although I'm not going to tell them you can't do that. But, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm trying to say is, if God wants to communicate to us, He can communicate to us. Right? And, and people, they, they look at this book and they go, oh, man, that's Impossible. Impossible. You know, how, how could God possibly speak to us through this book? I mean, humans wrote it, right? And they make all kinds of mistakes because we make mistakes. So everybody makes mistakes. And so it would be impossible for God to speak his word infallibly through humans. Wait a minute. Who are we talking about here? We're talking about God. There's nothing impossible with God. What are we saying about God if we're saying He cannot communicate what He wants to communicate to His people? Or to anybody. In this case, not even His people. Some pagans. Joseph says, Listen, I know when God wants to communicate, He can communicate and He doesn't need a guy with a Ph.D. And it just so happens that I have the Spirit of God. Why don't you tell me the dream?" Yeah, Gary. Well, you know, that's a good question. And... And we kind of go, well, how does Joseph know? And, and I don't know if he does know. Because he doesn't promise an interpretation here. He just says, tell it to me. <laughs> but I think he has this faith in God. That, I mean, he got, he got a dream and he obviously knew the meaning of it. In fact, his brothers and his dad knew the meaning of it too, you know. So he's obviously had some experience. But how does he know that he has this spirit to be able to interpret the dreams? I don't know if he knew for sure, but I think he just knew God, and he was confident that God had put these guys here, and they had these dreams, and and he knew God, and so Lord, let's give this a shot, <laughs> you know. And he says, "Tell it to me," and then it just, you know, the Holy Spirit just reveals. Yeah.
1: I would even submit that uh, Joseph's family had a gift of dream interpretation. When he told his dreams to his brothers, they didn't need anyone to explain. Apparently to them.
0: not. Yeah. 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 Yeah, apparently I was thinking about that yesterday. Apparently they knew and his father knew. The only other explanation was was that Joseph not only told him the dream but told him the interpretation, which would have made him even more mad, but but uh but yeah, I think uh, apparently the whole thing I think it kinda of ran in the family there a little bit. But uh so so the dream then uh Uh, The cupbearer's dream is that there are these vines. And he says, i got these vines in front of me, or this vine in front of me. He said it has three branches. And uh, then uh, you'll notice he says, uh, uh, verse 10, And on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. So there's this picture in the dream of just this sudden fruitfulness. You got these three branches and they're budding, as soon as they're budding, they're blossoming. Well, you and I know that doesn't happen, right? The tree first buds, and then for a while then a little later it blossoms, and then a little later after the blossoms, then comes the fruit, and the fruit is not ripe to start with, you know. It but here it happens just all boom, just real quick. Okay? What's the point? These things are gonna happen quick. Hence the significance of the three. Branches, Three days. Okay. These things are going to happen real quick. And then he says, he says, uh, I, had the, I had Pharaoh's cup in my hand and I squeezed the grapes in the cup and I gave it, put the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So that's the dream. And so now Joseph is responsible to give him the interpretation. But before we get into the interpretation, I want to notice, I want I want to do some comparisons here. We have in the story of Joseph Three pairs of dreams, right? What would be the first pair? Okay, Joseph's dreams. Joseph's two dreams, okay? So that's the first pair. Now we have here, we have the second pair of dreams, the cupbearer and the baker, and they each have a dream. And then, of course, we haven't gotten to this part of the story yet, but there's another pair of dreams that come in the next chapter, and that is what? Pharaoh's two dreams, okay? Okay. So we have three pairs of dreams. Now, with the first pair of dreams and the third pair of dreams, there are a lot of similarities. You have one individual who dreams two dreams, right? So one individual has two dreams, and those two dreams have the same meaning, right? Joseph has two dreams. They basically have the same meaning. Pharaoh has two dreams, they both both basically have the same meaning, right? The other thing that's common about those two sets of dreams is that the ultimate fulfillment of the dreams is in the is in the distant future. Okay? So with Joseph, the fulfillment of his dream is twenty two years down the road before his dream is fulfilled. Alright? And with Pharaoh's dreams, the 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 fulfillment begins immediately. But the crucial part of the fulfillment will not happen for seven more years. In other words, he's going to have. Uh, and I'm cheating here. I'm telling you the story before we get to it. But you know it anyway. Uh, he, he's going to have they're going to have seven years of plenty and then they're going to have seven years of famine. OK, so the real crucial thing, the reason they need Joseph in position of power is because, not because of seven years of plenty. That's easy. They need him there for the seven years of famine, right? So the real important part of, Joseph, of Pharaoh's dreams is down the road seven years. And so the Lord does something with Joseph and the Lord does something with Pharaoh in view of the fact that that the fulfillment of the dream or the important part of their dream is off in the distant future. And what he does is he repeats the dream. In other words, the second dream is a confirmation of the first dream. It's like God says, this is going to happen. And by the way, did I tell you this is going to happen? Okay. now that was necessary for Joseph because he's about to go through slavery and imprisonment. Okay, so he needs the confirmation that this is really going to happen. He needs more than one dream. And Pharaoh needs two dreams. He needs confirmation because he's going to go through seven years of plenty. And in about the fifth or sixth year of plenty, if he hasn't had two dreams, what's Pharaoh going to be tempted to think? This is the norm, folks. We're doing great, okay? But God has confirmed to him by a second dream, it's only going to last seven years. So don't count on this. You've got to save this up for what's lying ahead, okay? So the second dream serves as confirmation. Now, what's interesting in this middle pair of dreams that we're looking at today is the differences between it, the contrast between this pair and the other two pairs. One is we have two guys instead of one guy. Again, we have two dreams, two different dreams, but they have two two different interpretations, right? They actually have two actually opposite meanings. Uh, The other thing is that the fulfillment is immediate. It's going to be within three days. Okay. So the cupbearer doesn't need confirmation in the sense of a second dream. He doesn't need confirmation because it's, it's all going to unfold very quickly. Okay? He's not going to forget this. Okay, So he doesn't need that kind of confirmation. So the question is, why does God do this this way? Why does he give two dreams to two different guys with two entirely different interpretations?
1: Okay, because the, the cup doesn't necessarily these guys necessarily these guys lie that they're just in fine but it all seems
0: that very were just okay okay uh that's close uh, that's touching on what, what I'm getting at here it's still an issue of confirmation one of
1: them is uh favorable
0: the it when we get to chapter 41 we'll see this that the that the fact that Joseph has interpreted two dreams with opposite interpretations confirms Joseph's gift as an interpreter. See that? So that's why the difference. That's why he has two dreams with different interpretations by two different guys. It shows that this was not a fluke. Joseph's interpretation of the cupbearer's dream is not a fluke. So when the cupbearer finally wakes up, you know, and two years later and tells Pharaoh about Joseph, he points out to Pharaoh that he interpreted two dreams with opposite meanings, implying that Joseph has a gift or a spirit of interpretation, which Pharaoh takes note of later and says he has the spirit of God in him. Okay, so. So we have these two dreams and we're only looking at one of them today, of course. Uh, but we have these two dreams and and Joseph now interprets the first dream and he says, well, the meaning of this first dream is that is that uh, your head will be lifted up and we're going to run into that expression again and he actually uses it in opposite ways. Here, it's a very positive thing. Your head is going to be lifted up. It's like what the psalmist says when he says the Lord is the one who lifts my head. Psalm 3. <coughs> so... So it's a very positive thing. It's the idea of a guy who's who's cast down, whose head is bowed down. His circumstances have, have caused him to be bowed down, and and God is uh, or whoever is is uh, lifting him up, is changing his status so that he can now again stand upright and lift his head up. Okay. So he says, your head will be lifted up, and Pharaoh is going to restore you to your position, and you're once again going to be the cupbearer for the king and putting the cup in the king's hand and hence the interpretation and we'll go on in the next chapter and we'll see how this all unfolds when we get to the next chapter but immediately upon giving the interpretation then what does Joseph do? okay he makes a plea actually he makes two pleas he makes a plea to be, he makes a plea for kindness. A plea to be remembered. Okay? That's his first plea. His second plea, you'll notice, is a plea of innocence. Alright? So first he says to the guy, when it goes well with you, he says, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this place. <laughs> okay? He is desperate to get out of here. And then he makes his plea of innocence. He says, he says, I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of Hebrews. Okay, now, the significance of what he's saying there is, is, I didn't end up in Egypt because I'm a fugitive. I was not fleeing from the land of Hebrews because I had done something wrong and I had, I had to get out of, get out of Dodge. Okay? That's, that's not why I'm here. I'm here because I was unjustly kidnapped, hijacked and brought down here and sold into slavery. And once here I have not done anything here to deserve being put into this dungeon. Okay? So so Joseph is making a twofold plea, a plea for help in getting out of his predicament and a plea of his innocence. Right? And we've, we've talked about this a little bit before. I've, I've kind of alluded to it or mentioned it a couple times before that, that I think this is, this is significant for us. I, think, I don't think we should miss this point that here's a man who has encountered two horrific wrongs in his life. He's been made a slave and then made a prisoner. And we know, because we have 2020 20 hindsight, that God is orchestrating all this, and God is working all this out, and it's is going to work out really great for everybody involved, even people that don't deserve it. It's going to work out really great. And we know all that, but of course Joseph doesn't know all that. All he knows is he has these two dreams, but he doesn't have any idea how this is going to all work out. Okay, but so he's had these two horrific wrongs in his life, and he's going. Through this process, and as he's going through this process, the thing that stands out to us about Joseph is how faithful he is to God, how he trusts God, how he loves God, and he's not going to sin against the Lord. He's not going to do things, and he's and he's and he's going to be a blessing bearer. He's going to be a blessing to Potiphar, and he's going to be a blessing to the chief jailer, and he's going to be a blessing to these two uh, these two uh, high officials that have been imprisoned for some terrible wrong they did to to Pharaoh. He just you know, this is his mentality. So this guy is a, can we use the term? He's a spiritual guy. You know? He's a he's a godly man. Very young man at this point, in his twenties. But he's a godly man. But when he gets the chance to get out of this circumstance that God has put him in, and that he has been faithful in, he has not allowed himself to become bitter in. But when he gets the chance to get out, he gives it all he's got. Do you notice that? What this means is that Joseph, as a man of God, believing God, trusting God, and being faithful in difficult, horrible circumstances, is not Pollyanna. He's not just walking along whistling Dixie saying life is great. Life is a bummer. This is hard. It's unjust. It's unpleasant. And I want out. While I'm here, I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to love God. I'm going to see God's goodness and God's kindness in my life. But I'm still suffering. I still hurt. And if I can get out of this circumstance, I'm going to do it. And I think we sometimes we have this. Some people do anyway. I've never been able to be this way, but some people just kind of have this idea, you know, just whatever happens in life, just praise God, bless the Lord, and you yeah, know, everything's great, and they have a, you know. And that's just not reality, folks. Suffering is suffering. Anguish is anguish. Grief is grief. And and it's not wrong for us as children of God to experience those things and to chafe under those things. Hence, we have throughout the Scriptures, but particularly in the book of Psalms, we have the laments, what are called the laments. You've read the Psalms. You've seen them. They're there. The psalmist crying out, Oh God, how long? why God and we have these lament psalms and I was just reading just recently a couple weeks ago I was reading a a chapter on lament in the scriptures and and one of the things that struck me that the the author of this particular book the author of this chapter in this book was pointing out about the lament psalms is there is that a lot of people think as they look at the lament psalms some people say well One thing that's characteristic of the lament psalms is they always start with lament and they end with praise. Well, there are many lament psalms that do just exactly that. And that is instructive to us, isn't it? But there are also lament psalms that go like this. Lament, praise, lament, praise, lament, praise. You've seen some of those. They go back and forth. The psalmist is weeping and Crying out and complaining to God. And then a verse or two later, he's praising God. And then he's kind of back in the lament again. And then later he's in the praise and it goes back and forth. You notice that? But here's the one that's the scariest. There are some lament psalms that begin with praise and end with lament. And what I take away from all of that is that lament is the experience of the believer. At points in our life, there will be times of lament, and we live in an we live in an evangelical world in which in which prosperity and praise is kind of all the big thing, and we're all about praise. And of course, we are we ought to be praising God, and 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 that is that is a dominant aspect of our. Christian experience is this relationship of praise with God. But there are also seasons of lament in the life of the child of God. And there are seasons of lament in the life of Joseph. And there will be seasons of lament in our lives. It's inevitable that there will be seasons of lament. And when we go through those seasons, and when we find ourselves really crying out and going, God, how long? And God, why? It doesn't mean that we're being unfaithful to God. It doesn't mean that we've jettisoned the faith. It just means, folks, this is tough. This is hard. One of the things that strikes me, as one of the commentators put it about Joseph ending up in prison, was he said, Joseph's greatest setback came as a result of his greatest moral victory. That's sobering, isn't it? His greatest setback. He's thrown in prison. His greatest setback came not just after his greatest moral victory, but because of his greatest moral victory. And I was wrestling with that. I was thinking about that. And I was thinking... God, why? Why, after His greatest moral victory, does He have His greatest setback? And then I remembered, I remembered what the Lord said when He said, hold on folks, this is going to rattle your cage. He who is faithful in least is faithful also in much. Now, we know the context of that when Jesus says it, right? And the context has to do with material things and true riches, right? Jesus is talking about material things and he says, if you're faithful with these material things, you'll be faithful with, you know, God will give you the true riches. And, and, and that's the application of it in, when Jesus is saying that. But isn't, doesn't that same principle apply in trials? Cannot that same principle apply in trial? That he who is faithful in the lesser trial will also be faithful in the greater trial? And it struck me that, that as great as the temptation was, and we talk about how great that temptation was with Potiphar's wife and how intense it was, as great as that temptation was, I don't think it was as great as the temptations Joseph faced in prison to despair and to abandon hope in God. And maybe, maybe he couldn't go to prison until he passed the test with Potiphar's wife. And sometimes when things go from bad to worse, it's kind of the line I sometimes use jokingly. In fact, I used it last week with somebody, and my wife doesn't like it when I say it. But but the the, the line is: uh, people told me cheer up, things good get worse, so I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. You know, well. You know, maybe there's some truth to that. Maybe the reason sometimes things go from worse to worse is because there's some great trial I need to go through in order ultimately to get where God needs me to be to do what God wants to do as He's doing with Joseph. Joseph's got to go through prison before he can be at Potiphar's right hand. He's got to go there. But, but he goes through increasingly greater trials until he gets there, doesn't he? Now, I don't know if that's comforting to you or encouraging to you, but I think it is instructive. Yeah, go ahead. Something
1: I sometimes talk to people who are complaining about the job they're in, and unfortunately, it, it actually opens a gateway to talk. But I tell them for many cases that Potiphar was Joseph's entry-level position. <laughs> that's right. Because as uh, bad as things were. Joseph first learned how to operate a home yeah. in an estate. Then yeah. he learned an institution. Yeah. He could not have gone from even being the shepherd yeah. shepherd boy yeah. to being Prime Minister of Egypt. Yeah. He had to go through certain, certain Yeah. seasons. Yeah. And, so that, and it's actually a blessing that people have no idea what I'm talking about <laughs> So I can share the story. There you go. It. There
0: you go. Well, and the other and the other principle that works there also is before honor comes. Humility, And I think one of the things God was doing in Joseph's life was creating in him the spirit of humility that was going to be necessary when he had this position of honor. Well, so we're, we're about out of time here, but just let me ask you this question. Think about this. We don't know what's going to happen here, right? Because we haven't read the rest of the story. So we don't know what's going to happen. But Joseph has pled with this guy to remember him when he gets before Pharaoh. What happens if he does? What happens if when the cupbearer, the day he gets promoted on Pharaoh's birthday, he gets promoted and he's, he's up there at Pharaoh's right hand and the first thing he does when he gets there is he says, Pharaoh, I've got to talk to you about this guy, Joseph, back in the prison. What if he does talk to Pharaoh J- right off the bat when he gets there? And what if he tells Pharaoh, listen, this guy was kidnapped. And he was unjustly charged and he was thrown in prison. And, and what if Pharaoh investigates and he finds out that this is all true? Now, what is Joseph wanting? He wants, to
1: go
0: home. he wants to go home. OK, so what happens if Joseph is successful at this point in persuading this guy and he gets up to Pharaoh and he says to Pharaoh, You know, investigate this and and take care of this guy. And Pharaoh does that. And he releases Joseph. What happens? Joseph goes home. Joseph goes home before the Judah-Tamar issue is resolved. That means he goes home before his brothers are repentant. That means he goes home and prematurely exposes the crime his brothers committed. What devastation does that wreak in the family? But not only that, if Joseph goes home, he doesn't go to Pharaoh's right hand. If Joseph doesn't go home, he doesn't save his family's lives. If Joseph goes home, he doesn't save the life of the Egyptians. If Joseph goes home, he doesn't save the lives of thousands or millions of people in in that region of the world. In other words, if Joseph goes home, everything he suffered up to this point is for naught. And so, as we get into chapter next week, we'll find out Joseph doesn't go home because the cupbearer doesn't remember. But that's not an accident. God is, prov- is providentially in control. And when you have gone to what you think is the extent of the suffering that you can take, and you say, God, I can't take another day, and then it goes on another day and another week and another month. Is it possible that if God answered your cry of distress and your lament at this hour, that everything he suffered up to this point would be for naught? But he has some great thing he wants to do, some good thing he's going to do down the road, but to do that, there's a couple more years of suffering ahead. Okay, next week we'll pick up the story and read about the baker's
1: dream.